I'm just saying like the term Christian has become so, I don't, I don't want to say watered down, but it's become so meaningless. Like we can be just as victimizing and call ourselves Christian. And we think that when we, we take the communion, the, the bread and the wine that somehow like this does, this has just like a salvific thing for me. Like it's just, but it's no, I think it's about instead of having an altar of sacrifice where we continually put each other on or a cross, we come together at its table and we eat together. And when we do that, we do it even with Judas. Like we don't victimize, like we, we refuse to enter into that rivalry that others are doing to us. It's, it's, it's less about the me, for me, the term Christian and more about what does that mean? It means to follow the way of Christ. It means to be forgiving, offensively forgiving. to the show. I'm Seth. You're listening to the Can I Say This at Church podcast, and I'm excited about that. We're going to do it together. Um, so I have a guest on the show that uh, if you've been on Facebook or whatever, or in many of the groups that at least I'm in, or the podcasts, whatever, um, you will know uh, Matthew DiStefano's voice and and whatnot. And uh, it was a pleasure to have him on. But before we get there, uh, recently, I think the show, so we're at like 53 Patreons. So I would love to end June at a hundred patrons. And so if you get anything at all, you find any benefit, any value from the show, click the button, head on over to the website, click in the show notes. You can either do Patreon, you can do glow, but consider supporting the show. Um, every week, a few more people join in and it's, I mean, it's really exciting. I'm, I love that community. I love, uh, the people there and I'm so thankful for those of you that uh, find value in the show and help continue to be a part of it. So click that button. Let's do it together. Today, what you'll hear, a uh, slightly different conversation. So Matthew wrote a book, uh, a devotional, as he goes through the year. And to be honest, it's not something that I thought that I'd really see from Matthew, but I have enjoyed reading it. I have continued to read it, this conversation, because I am uh, as busy as the next person. We recorded this like January, like like New Year's or maybe the day after New Year's or somewhere in there. And so it's been like two months since I had this conversation. And as I listened back and edited it, I really liked where he's going with it. And, and I have continued to read it every day because I don't do a lot of devotionals, but I really enjoyed this one. So here's what you can expect. So we're going to talk a bit about Matthew about how he sees God, and we're going to talk about the concept of scapegoating and briefly touch on mimetic theory and the role of a prophet. I mean, really, we cover a lot of ground. And so uh, thank you for listening, and let's roll the tape with Matthew. Stefano, welcome to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah. Are you really? Are you? No, I am. I am. Yeah, <laughs> this is as excited as I get. Like, I, I'm pretty even keel. Like, 
It, you might not tell it in my face, but I am excited to talk to you. I was accused of that the other day. I, a friend of mine sent me a link to a Will Ferrell SNL. I guess there's like a monotone voice skit that I had never watched. And he's like, I swear, Seth, this is you. Because I just, I usually am always the same tone for the most part. I'm a louder tone yeah. or a lower tone, but I hardly uh, ever break tone. And he's like, you're just ridiculous. But yeah, but yeah so I, I get that, that as well. That's okay. My best friend, Mike, who I do a podcast with, he's even like, he's like straight, just like that. Like it's pretty much baseline all the time. <laughs> so it's all good. I'm used, I'm used to it. I'm that way myself. So there yeah. we go. It well, should be an exciting one. Folks, it's, right? it's <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to your seats. It's going to be a ringer. <laughs> um, but I find that you can get away with a lot more sarcasm and puns when you're, when you have a deadpan face, because people don't know how to take it. So they have to think about it. So, and they have to pay attention because it's not like yeah. they can read you. So, uh, well, tell right. us about you. What makes you, you? Oh, Oh God. We're all, we're all so unique. Um, but we're all so <laughs> much that we're all so much the same too. So that's a, that's a, um, an odd question. Like, um, of course I'm a product of, um, my environment from my upbringing, uh, my current cultural and religious or maybe more non-religious context now these days but yeah i mean what me specifically i i mean for work i do social work because i like helping people who are struggling uh, i think that's a cool challenge i write books i'm a podcaster i'm now a hip-hop artist what yeah i just played my first show it was like a house party for new year's and it went well so huh praise jesus <laughs> um <laughs> i'm married i got a daughter uh yeah I mean, there's so many things I could say. I didn't, you want me to go the mystical route? I am a divine, a divine incarnate being. I am the Christ, as Jamal would say. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> I, so I didn't know you did social work. What is that? Like, what does that look like? Well, uh, historically, I did like eight years of group home. I worked in a juvenile hall first before that. And then I worked in group homes. Now I'm, um, I'm running a independent living service program or I'm co-running, uh, for folks with developmental disabilities, like cerebral palsy, autism, uh, brain trauma injuries, and just helping them, uh, cope with things and learn how to meander the world and get services and pay bills and cook and, do all the things that a lot of people take for granted that others maybe struggle with a little more. Hmm. So they're um, coming. So, so we help. They're coming to you or you go to them or how does that work? Oh, in California, we, uh, we contract through a state agency and then we, I, I'm one of the guys who runs assessments and sees if it's going to be a fit with our program. So, uh, uh, the agency would get a referral from someone who's looking for services and then they third-party contract to those who provide the services. Huh. I didn't even yeah. know that was a thing. I mean, it makes sense that it exists. I just never really thought yeah. about it. There's, um, there's a lot of social work in California. There's a lot of those kind of things. I don't, I don't know how it is elsewhere. Um, I've only lived out of California for one year of my life, so. Huh. You, yeah. you just couldn't wait to get back? Uh, well, that's a long one story um <laughs> yeah my wife and i moved we moved out to rhode island for uh, oh a my year and a half. the entire yeah. continent and then came back why yeah why i don't know um i don't know i like california i don't like the prices uh, everything's expensive as shit out here but 
um, I do like it. And that's where my family is. So Yeah. I lived in California when, when I was growing up for a, a few years. My dad went to Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. San Dimas, maybe? Azusa? Okay, that, Azusa? That's no. way, way, yeah, way down in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, my brother was born in, uh, in Las Cruces, I think. Is that a city that exists? I was like six, five. Yeah, somewhere. I think so. I think that's, I think that's Southern California too. I mean, I mean, it's a, look at the state. It's huge. I'm eight hours from LA. And, uh, yeah, when this comes out, I'll have already flown down, but I'm flying down tomorrow. So, I mean, it's, it's an eight hour drive. Luckily I get to fly, but it's a big state. There's so many towns that I've never even heard of. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I just remember going to Disneyland all the time. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. So, cause you get to go. So not why I brought you on. So you wrote a book <laughs> called devoted as, and how do you say it? Cause with the asterisk, how do you actually say it? Uh, fuck is the pronunciation. <laughs> Well, I didn't know if you said it differently with the asterisks. I didn't. No, we we just did that. I don't know why we did that. I I forget why we put the asterisks on on the cover page and the title. But uh, in the book, it doesn't have the asterisks. It, it does not. Um, no. So I wanted to talk about some of the themes in that book. And so what I did uh, because it's you touch on a lot of different things. And so for those that don't have the book in front of them, it's like a what do you call it? A daily, an annual, an every day for the year? I don't know what the word is. Where you it's got? Kind of, like I mean, a, yeah, it's kind of a quasi devotional. It yeah. doesn't have like the Bible verse and then the longer uh, sort of explanation or how it can help you or mm-hmm. during that day. Um, but it's more of like a um, someone once told me, I don't know who, uh, that I can say a lot in a short amount of space. So I took that and I kind of tried to say, I hope profound things. Sometimes crass, sometimes offensive, but to get people to think and then you get all these lines to jot down your notes. So yeah. 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 It's it's the most I mean I've written five books. This one has the most blank spaces. <laughs> the other ones have words like I told you before. <laughs> well, I mean, this one was it's it's a different oh, it's a different intention, which was my first question. So when I do know that you've written other books. You wrote a book named Heretic. There's um a book that has the word blood in it, I think. Nope. From the blood from the blood of Abel. Yeah, that's it. Um, so why pivot to a devotional book? Like what made you go, you know what I should write this? Because I think as I read through it, cause I read the whole thing, cause it doesn't take long to read it when most of it's blank right. space. Uh, although right. now I'm going back through cause it, you know, yesterday was January 1st. So why not? It starts at January one. Let's, let's make this happen. So I, right. I, I read yesterday's and I read today's I'll, I'll read it for the year. Why not? I think it's harder to write that blurb with nothing really conjoining it to say February 10th. You know, like at least in a book, you've got like, here's my bones. Here's what I want to write. Here's what I want to say. And here's how I'm going to do it. So why would you pivot to this? Um, I, I, I just thought it would be, well, I like irony. I would be like the last person to ever write a devotional. I've never read one. Um, (laughs) Well, you've read this one. uh, So I, I, well, yeah, I had to, yeah, you have to read and reread, make sure you don't have typos. I'm sure there still are. But I, I just, I thought I had, I had a lot of quotes that just were like jotted down and I thought, Oh, it'd be cool just to make like a quote a day and let people kick around the ideas that I'm putting in there. I mean, it was nothing like profound or like some divine revelation or epiphany that I should do this. Mm. It just kind of popped in my head and I was like, you know, this won't take that long to do and maybe it'll be helpful for folks and it'll be fun to write. And, and just to compile, sometimes you got, I've got like all these journals in here that are like, 10 of them, like all full of just stuff. I was like, 
yeah, when you write a regular book, you got to put all those things together and there's got to be a story arc or all this. You got to have flow and all this. But this was more like, what am I going to do with all this shit? Hmm. Like, <laughs> I, I don't want to lose it. And and sometimes it's just you can't expand it to an article or an essay. Mm-hmm. It just kind of sits there. And so I was like, well, let's just have a bunch of things that just sit there that people can think about that day. And if they don't like it, it took them two seconds to read and they can move on to the next one. Um, I have a grandiose vision that I want to try to write a book one of these days. So I've started making notes in the note app on my phone just because I'm lazy and I don't usually have paper handy. I've always got a pen. I just don't usually have any paper, at least not something that I can't throw away. And as I scroll back through it every once in a while, I'm like, oh, this was good. I don't even know what this says. I don't even know why I wrote this. This literally, and, but I'm afraid to hit delete because I don't. Right. Maybe one day it'll mean something again. It obviously meant something when I wrote it down. Uh, it just right, means exactly. absolutely nothing at the moment. <laughs> um, so I want to jump around some of the thought processes uh, or some of the questions that I had based on a few days throughout your book, and then we'll just go wherever it goes from there. Sure. You and I don't. This is the only date that I didn't write a day, and so I'm gonna start with this question. Um, you talk about breathing, but you also talk about Buddhism, and I feel like it's either September or October. It could be August. It's right there in those three months. Uh, I, okay. I know it's before August 11th and after September 19th. So it's somewhere okay. in there. Um, you talk about Buddhism and breathing and basically calming down, but you, you use the word in the sentence of, you know, the of, of the things that Buddhism has taught me, one of them is this, like breathing. Um, and so I wanted to talk a bit about that because I've never really heard you talk about Buddhism. Like what is kind of your relationship to that practice? Well, other than just studying some of it for religious studies uh, interest, um, a lot of Buddhist practitioners, and I, and I would call my, my relationship would be a very loose relationship. It's not a very tight one. Um, but a lot of the practitioners, uh, a lot of the, the Zen Buddhists, especially um, in the Mahayana tradition, I think, and I'm sure in other traditions too, there is an emphasis on stillness and breathing as simple as breathing in through the nose, holding your breath for a second and letting it out slowly and how that helps you be present and allow thoughts that might be in your head to just be there without being labeled. They're neither good nor bad. They could be uncomfortable thoughts or they could be comfortable thoughts, but they're not something you have to attach. You can just let that be there. And I think... Maybe the universe is such that when those things happen, they're supposed to happen for some sort of reason. Hmm. And it can help us, I think, with, you know, accepting those thoughts that come in and, and just letting them be there. And, and maybe we can learn something from that. I think we're too busy in, in the West. I think we're too focused on uh, the past or the future instead of actually being here now as uh, I think it's Rob Bell's book. He, is called that be here now. Uh, but Buddhism has helped me with that. I, I think you can get that from Christianity or other traditions, but for me, yeah. the way Buddhists have talked about it, I just, they've said it in such a way that helps. One quick thing on Rob Bell. So you're the third interview that I've done today. Um, third person that's brought up Rob Bell, third different book. And I have yet to read any of those books. The only one I've ever read is love wins and nobody really ever quotes that one or really talks about it. Uh, they talk about it, but not well, 
from yeah. it. If that makes any sense, that's not, it's a bad way yeah. to say it. Well, um, but most people don't, there's so many questions in there. Most people don't quote questions. Right. Yeah. Um, all, that's a little enough, jab. I've got his, what is the Bible book here, which is another question, which I have yet to crack the spine on. And I've had it for two years. One of these days I'll oh. get to it. I just, whatever. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah. So you on January 6th, talk about the book of revelation and I, I like what you say about it. Um, is it all right if I quote you on some of these? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you say, without a doubt, the dumbest thing the church teaches is that the book of Revelation is a play-by-play of what is going to happen thousands of years in the future. Um, and so I agree, but I want to hear it from you. So what then is the book of Revelation? What am I supposed to do with it? Oh, that's a great... Uh, chuck it out, like the Eastern Orthodox do. No, they don't chuck it out. <laughs> they just don't read from it. No, I'm kidding. I Honestly, this is the weird thing is... I grew up dispensationalist, left behind, end times, theology, rapture, all that, all that BS. So most people would think, oh, Matt must not like the book of Revelation. He must have just chucked that because it's terrifying. And for anyone who's lived in that sort of rapture mindset, a lot of our stories are the same, like pretty scared, pretty scary things going to happen. Like we've all seen those crappy Christian vignette movies of, of what happens. And Don't knock Nick Cage. Don't do it. He was much better than I, Kurt Cameron, <laughs> I guess. I, I I couldn't make. I tried to watch it. I thought it would be accidentally funny. It just was so. It, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It I, was, I've watched about two thirds of it. Actually, Kurt Cameron's yeah. was better, but I think that's because I like him. You know why not? Yeah. Yeah. Um. I remember why I, I watched the old one. Yeah. I watched maybe half of the the new one. Um. <laughs> but anyway, my point is that I haven't chucked it out because of that background. And I think it's important. I think it's an important book. I, I think first and foremost, it is written to the people of the time. Shocking, right? Like most everything in ancient texts. Whether you date it before 70 AD or after, I'm not really that concerned about. I, because I think, I think it's, it's first and foremost historical. But second, I think we can read it allegorical and say that, yes, this is about Rome and the relationship of empire and the people and religion and how that all works and, and the, the, the hell that is coming because of the way we treat each other and how we run our, our stuff. It's about that, but it's, it's about every time we do that. Every time we are Rome, this leads to that. Um, these, these black writers and all, these, all this imagery that we have is symbolic of our human systems and where they lead to. Hmm. So if we're going to create an empire, it's going to lead to destruction and death and famine and war and poverty and all the things that we see in our world century in and century out, whether it's Rome or Greek before that or Babylon or Egypt or Britain or the U.S. Now I'm going to get crucified because I'm not being a patriot. (laughs) Um, But this is the critique that the book has. Yeah. It has a happy ending. Her gates will never be shut. There's a happy ending, but in we're in the midst of it. I think all the time, whenever we um, are Babylon or our Rome or the two cities we, diametrically opposed, um, when we live like Jesus, and of course that raises the question: Who's Jesus? We can live in the kingdom of God and we can have a peaceful existence, or we can do what we've always done, which is have power over each other. And we end in a lake of fire, Hmm. like literally right now, Syria, Iran, Iraq, 
the Middle East, Afghanistan, South America, like there are lakes of fire everywhere and we keep burning each other and keep killing each other and it never ends well. Yeah, no. Yeah, I've, I've said this in a different interview and I'm sure I stole it from somebody. Maybe I stole it from you. Um, pr- why not? Uh, steal, steal away. Yeah, well, I doubt that I stole it from you. I just feel like trying to be funny. Um, but, but, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, so I, I, actually I think it was Walter Brueggemann, but it doesn't matter. Um, he basically said, you know, the, the Bible is always written to the oppressed, the poor, the weak, the marginalized that are being oppressed by whatever the empire happens to be, you know, Persia, Babylon, it doesn't really matter. And right. so if you live in the empire, it's not written to you. Yeah. It's probably written about you, but it's not written to you. <laughs> probably. going to need to settle and, down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and having a lot of prophetic tradition, you don't like what it's going to say. Yeah. Because the, the prophets don't critique the poor. <laughs> you know what I mean? You talk about the voice of the prophet. I forget which day it is. It's not one of the ones I wrote down, but basically that, you know, nobody likes the prophet because they nobody wants to hear anything that the prophets have to say. What do you think the role of a prophet would be, say, in California or in Virginia or in Texas? So let's just pick, I don't know, Wisconsin. Nobody's picked on Wisconsin. Like, what should the role of a prophet be in the church today, it doesn't even have to be in America. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Like, what what would the role of a prophet be? To not well, so, to not call yourself prophet. Like, don't send me a friend Facebook request when your name is Prophet X Y Z, whatever, because <laughs> that's that's the first red flag. You don't hit accept. No, no, <laughs> typically not. I, I I think to critique where whatever your current context is, whatever your current leadership to critique those power structures that oppress others. The least of these maybe would be um, a simple way or uh, maybe an overly simple, but you know what I mean? Like the least of the people, the people that are in prison, the the people with disabilities, the blind um, at, you know, those, those, that's one listed that Jesus talks about Um, the LGBT community and to critique those who through their power and use of power and places of power and privilege, oppress those who become the marginalized of our society yeah whether it's state-sponsored or whether it's church-sponsored often two sides of the same coin unfortunately there's a part in here that you say taking communion has little if anything to do with being christian which would be the first thing that people go okay i don't know what you're talking about here instead you say it's about rejecting our propensity toward creative victims i literally um hand wrote in question marks there like i don't not actually connecting with what you're saying there so what do you mean when you say that communion is rejecting our propensity towards creative victims how is that are you using the word communion there in the same way that we would at church you know with this is my body take and eat this is my or how are you using that yeah i think well that's i think that's the um the symbolism of of the story of communion we have uh i come i come from a girardian perspective so i'm going to view it from a mimetic theory standpoint so we have in, in in our typical cultures, we have 
um, the creation of scapegoats by othering. And that's how we unify we, um, as a society. If we can come together at the expense of another and we all agree on who that is, the plagues always get lifted, right? So Oedipus, uh, the, the, the Apollonian plague in Thebes gets lifted after Oedipus is expelled. Um, we have all these stories. Um, uh, Pilate and Herod become friends after they, they, where they weren't friends, they become friends when they agree that, yeah, Jesus had to go. Mm. I, 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 don't, I don't say that to say that if you're a Christian, you can't take communion or nothing. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying like the term Christian has become so... I don't, I don't want to say watered down, but it's become so meaningless. Like we can be just as victimizing and call ourselves Christian. And we think that when we, we take the communion, the, the bread and the wine, that somehow like this does, this has just like a salvific thing for me. Like it's just, but it's no, I think it's about instead of having an altar of sacrifice where we continually put each other on or a cross, we come together at its table and we eat together. And when we do that, we do it even with Judas. Like we don't victimize, like we, we refuse to enter into that rivalry that others are doing to us. It's, it's, it's less about the me, for me, the term Christian and more about what does that mean? It means to follow the way of Christ. It means to be forgiving, offensively forgiving. Like I, I'm not that way. I don't know. Um, who was it that said there was only one Christian and it was Jesus? <laughs> I mean, it was, was it Kierkegaard? I no, it wasn't Kierkegaard. It I don't was, know, but I like it. Yeah, no, it was, um, shit. I can't remember. But anyway, um, I, I I'm not that I, I, I rarely, like, I, I still have the propensity to scapegoat others and gossip about others and build myself up at the expense of others rather than being like ridiculously forgiving and merciful and gracious. Yeah. So that's that's all I mean by that. Like when we do, when we follow Jesus, we don't create victims. So hopefully, actually, the term Christian and the second part of that phrase I said, th- those are the same thing because I think that's more to me what Christianity means. Yeah. I I don't see it as some sort of like personal salvific thing that I now get to go to heaven when I die. I I, I hardly think that's even what the New Testament's even talking about. Yeah. I think it's about following a certain ethic. That's that's more of my focus. Like it's an ethic rather than all these metaphysical claims that we make. I want to park it at mimetic theory, but I don't want to discuss it. So where would you send? Because I really am not prepared to talk about mimetic theory. Um, but I feel like people listening to that will go, "What what the hell is mimetic theory?" So right. what are just a handful of places that you would send people to to be like, "Yeah, that's not what we're talking about now, but it's something that you should dig into." Yeah. Look up this, look up this, look up this, just to get a quick crash course, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, totally. Well, you should always read primary sources, right? So Rene Girard was a French anthropologist who developed a theory of behavior and culture. And um, you, you said you didn't want to get into it, but that's where you go. So you go to Rene Girard, you would read primary materials. He's very difficult to read. Hmm. Um, so I would start with I see Satan fall like lightning. But honestly, like if you just want an introduction, I'd go to, to ravenfoundation.org because the way they they have infographics, they have videos, they have blogs. Um, it's a very easy to digest way of, you know, the way they put it is easily accessible for people. Yeah, yeah good. So that's right. I would send them and then, you know, yeah. always read primary sources because 
you want to get it from the horse's mouth. Let me rephrase. I do want to discuss it. We just don't oh, okay. actually have the time to discuss it. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, so yeah. at least not this evening. Uh, due to the time shift difference, we'll have to find a, di- a, a better time to begin t- to make that happen. Sure. So you talked about metaphysical, like heaven and hell. And that possibly that's not what the New Testament is talking about, unless I'm misquoting you from a minute ago. But I feel like I'm not because you just said it. I don't think that's the primary focus yeah. by any means. So then what is heaven and what is hell? Like, how do those have any sway? Like what cause you you actually talk about it at the beginning of the year, somewhere in January of, you know, heaven and hell are experiences that are happening now. And I, I think that's close to what you said. It's probably, it's, it's sure. marginally close. So what do yeah. you mean by that? Because for most people, heaven is a place I'm going to, and hell is a place I'm going to. Uh, no, and I don't actually to. agree with either of those, but I'm curious where you're coming at from that viewpoint. Uh, yeah, well, I think uh, heaven and hell, or the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, you could use those kind of interchangeably. Sure. Um, I just think they're present realities and they're ways of being in the world now. And I think it works on multiple different levels. I think it has to do with internal peace, external peace, societal peace. All those kind of things are part of the kingdom of God um, or the kingdom of heaven. And hell, the same thing. We can go through psychological hell. We can go through war. We can go through poverty. We can face trauma and that can be a hell of sorts. If you want to get real technical, Gehenna is hell. Gehenna was a uh, has a notorious history in Judaism of being a place where they get burned after they get slaughtered by other empires. And that's where they literally go. They go to hell and their bodies are burned and smoke rises up forever mm-hmm. and ever. And the worm dies not. And it turns that lake. I forget uh, the Dead Sea. Is that what it is? Um, it turns that into literally like a, like a lake of fire mm-hmm. creates brimstone and sulfur and all this kind of stuff. That's hell. Why is it hell? Because empire and uh, empire, there's a, a good reason. All empires lead to hell. And because of our power structures, which include empire, like the powers and principalities, um, we, we have hell all the time. Uh, Stalin's gulags are hell. Uh, Nazi camps are hell. Japanese internment camps are hell. So I can continue to be unpatriotic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, The Trail of Tears, which is kind of a, uh, that's not the right kind of title for something like that. That was horrific. That's hell. Mm -hmm. There's there's really fundamentally no difference, I think, between that and and Gehenna. Um, Gehenna was just specific to Jewish tradition. So... These are present realities we can live in um, as a society, as a person, in our inner relational, um, you know, in our relationships. Yeah. Um, I want to give you one quick critique. I think you're using patriotism wrong. I think you're confusing patriotism with nationalism. Um, And it's okay to not be nationalistic. Actually, it's probably healthy uh, because I believe a patriot would actually go, you can't you can't do this. This is actually yeah. not what this country stands for. There are other totally. countries that do stand for that. Yes. Just not this not this one. Yes. I say it firmly with my tongue firmly planted in cheek. <laughs> Perfect. But thank you for pointing that out because you're absolutely right, I think. Um, well, I just want to make sure that we're all in this, you know. I just want to hey. just <laughs> nothing wrong with yeah, of course. Yeah. Gotta um, I have two questions about 
two things that you said recently, I think, on Facebook, and I don't have screenshots of either, so I'm probably going to get them wrong. One okay. was a critique of liberal fundamentalism, I believe you had talked about, of, you know, there's fundamentalists on the right-hand side, which let's just call that uh, Jim Jeffries or Jerry Falwell Jr. or sure. whatever. What do you mean, I think it was you that was talking about, you know, liberal fundamentalism is exactly the same problem. Like, can you kind of, what is that? Like liberal fundamentalism? Well, I don't know if I said it's exactly the same problem, but I think they look exact. They're very mimetic. It seems like they're reflections of one another. And what I mean is that I'll give you an example. Like, I I don't remember the exact um, point of discussion that I was having with someone, but I didn't fall in line. And I'm very liberal. I'm very socially liberal. Um, I, I I didn't quite agree with something someone said, and they they called me alt right. And so it acts the same way as when I critique conservative religious fundamentalism and I get called an apostate or a heretic. Mm-hmm. We're just going to use this pejorative, and and as you know. Um, to demonize the other person and write them off because they're not exactly on our team. So for the right, it would be, you know, if it's theological, it might be, I don't agree with penal substitution atonement theory. Oh, you're a heretic then. Uh, Or I don't, I don't affirm eternal torment. I'm unabashed universalist. Oh my God, you're a heretic. You're an apostate. Or I I say, I don't even really know if I'm a Christian half the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, you're an apostate. You're, you're this and that. You're a, you're a hellbound heathen, a wolf in sheep's clothing. You get some people on the left who will have the same tactic. And I'm not saying that they do as bad as stuff as some of the people on the right. Like some of the stuff the right does is very gross in the way they treat other mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. But it's the same sort of tactic. When you call me alt-right, like you must be so far left. And even if you are, I don't know how I'm alt-right because I'm very socially liberal. Um, it, it just makes no sense. It's, it's, an, it's a pejorative. It's an attack. It's an, it's an ad hominem or something. Yeah. It's this, but it's, it kind of has the same energy. It's just using these demonizing pejoratives to other the person so that everything they say is now discredited and absurd. And I could be just a little off from you, let's say. And some people will still use that. Or if you said something 10 years ago and they're like, oh, see how terrible of a person you are. You hate gay people. And it's like, no, I actually despise that i said that i i'm grossed out that i believed that mm. and i don't believe that anymore and some people will still quote unquote cancel you because you said it on twitter or something mm-hmm. i'm like well wait a minute if you're going to be not conservative fundamentalist why is there no grace because that's that's something they do there's no grace for you you go to hell forever if you don't believe like us you get kicked yeah. out of our church it's the same energy on the other side yeah and i've just noticed that because i've seen it it's like um, I said something that I critiqued Hillary Clinton uh, one time and I got called like some sort of um, like I'm just I'm anti-woman and I'm like um, just hammering home the patriarchy. And I just thought that was weird. It's like, yeah, on the one hand, I, I'm sure I have blind spots. We all do. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we engage in racist things and we benefit from uh, racist structures. So in that way, are we racist? That that could be a discussion. Yeah, we might be in that way. And in one way, yeah, I'm a, I'm a male. I, I probably do things that, that hammer home the patriarchy and I pr- we all have blind spots. But just to use those pejoratives because I critique someone who happens to be a woman because I didn't like her war voting record, which is always check yes, check yes, check yes. 
the two have nothing to do with the other. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's not because I'm patriarchal. Like, I think most men who have been in charge have a horrible war, war record. And I could say they're probably worse than women who have ran, run stuff. I, I'm just guessing. I don't know if you're like me. I see those Facebook memories pop up from a decade ago or whatever. Because I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember when you had to go to the right <laughs> college to get on Facebook. Like, it had to come to your university oh, wow. or you didn't get in. Oh, you. So I, I hope maybe I'm older than you. It doesn't matter. Um, well, I haven't. I have only been on Facebook for like five years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then, yeah. Back in the day, it was like you had to have a .edu or .whatever um, yeah. email address, and it had to come to your university. And it was like university to university rollout, and it was literally only at university. Like you had, you couldn't get on if you were just some high school kid. Um, yeah. And then eventually, you know, they're like, "Hey, we could sell ads. Everybody's right. welcome." Um, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I'll see things from, you know, when I was 18, 19 and I'm like, oh man, I can't believe I ever believe that. And part yeah. of me is tempted to delete them just to right. delete them. But I haven't yet. Cause they were true at the time. They're not true anymore. Um, right. and I'm really happy that they're no longer, that, I don't find right. them true at all. Um, yeah. I used to. And yeah. So there is one other thing that you said recently that I literally went, huh? And I thought about it for a while. I think the word you said was, I think I'm at a point now that I'm post-Christian. And you actually said something similar just a minute ago. What do yeah. you mean when you say that? Like, what does that even mean? Well, I'm to the point where I, I don't I don't think about it ever. I don't think, well, what am I? Like, what, what label best describes me? Like, and Christian just becomes one of those labels where it's like, I had to ask myself, does it matter if I'm a Christian? Mm. Like, what is, does, does really calling myself matter at all? I mean, if I call myself a Christian, would I be able to talk to more people who are Christians? Not the way I talk, not my personality. <laughs> and I'm not going to be talking to those folks anyway. And, and that's fine. I don't need to talk to everyone. You know, we don't have to all talk. Right. <laughs> There's a, 7 billion of us. Like, certainly we, we don't all have to talk. Um, and I just, I just meant, well, of course I was a Christian. I would self-identify as a Christian and I wouldn't say I'm not, but sometimes I just feel like that's just labeling myself or using a label to define myself is just something I no longer think about. Hmm. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think I need to, um, I don't think I need to do anything to be saved ultimately, uh, in one way. Sure. Like you have to think a certain way for healing to take place. And if salvation is kind of synonymous with healing or close enough. Well, yeah, of course, our thought patterns can be salvific. Uh, the things we believe can be salvific in one way. But ultimately, I don't think I have to be like, I'm not going to be asked the question, oh, did you give your heart to the Lord and make Jesus your personal savior? And that? I don't like, I don't think God and God's going to be up there. And I have to answer it right. Otherwise, you know, I get zapped. <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't, it, it's just, it's become less of something that even takes up space in my head or any thoughts during the day. Huh? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to sound like kind of pretentious, but like, Oh, I, I shed all labels. Um, that, that one's just personally not helpful. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I also don't give the title much thought. Um, but yeah. it is the easiest when people say, well, actually I had someone ask me at, um, at my job the other day, you know, what would you call yourself religiously? And I struggled. I was like, well, I mean, I definitely, definitely love Jesus, but I'm also not this and not this and not this and not this 
and not this. So whatever those aren't, I'm the opposite of those. And they just looked, I was like, I don't, I don't know what the right label is. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm just going to, we'll just talk about Jesus. Um, cool. Last question, and it's a question I'm going to try to ask everyone. Um, and then just so that it kind of makes sense, I plan to talk with many, many different people this year that aren't Christian at all. And so I definitely want to ask them the question, but I don't want to just ask them the question because that would be, that would be wrong. So when I say, hey, Matthew, tell me about when you say the word God, here's what you're actually intending to say. Like when you say, here is who God is, this is what I want to say. Like, who is God for that? Oh, wow. Um, Small question. It's tiny. Right. We have about another hour and a half. Oh, right? <laughs> uh, God. Um, yeah. Well, I think uh, it's interesting because I think when most people say God or when everyone says God, it's a theology, I think. Hmm. Like, like the letters G-O-D are not God's name. The letters G-O-D are not God. Uh, they're, they're kind of pointers. Like they point in the direction. So where am I pointing? I, 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 can I be cliche and say first John four, eight, sure. and say God is God is love. I think that's a good pointer. I like, I like the idea of how David Bentley Hart translates Satchitananda as being consciousness and bliss. So God is pure beingness. God is being as such, not a being, but being God is pure consciousness and God is experienced as bliss. Hmm. I, I like that. Satchitananda, I think, is the Hindu understanding of maybe what um, the old, they wouldn't call it God necessarily. Uh, they might. I don't remember. Uh, we're all kind of gods. We're lower G, lowercase g gods in the, I think, in all of hmm. the, uh, the, what is it? Um, some sort of spider web. I don't know. We were way out. We were way out of my wheelhouse there. Oh (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, Indra's web, Indra's web, I believe we're all, we're all connected in like a spider web sort of deal. Um, so that, that's kind of what I would say. I, 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 it resonates in my bones. I can say theological things about God or, um, what God isn't. I think this sort of negative theology, which is important. Mm -hmm. We, and we, we always in the West talk about, uh, we have that whole like Westminster. We have a thousand descriptors of God and God is omni everything in the East. I think they think things through a little more differently. It's negative. God is not hmm. these things because I think that can help whittle down. Um, I like that. It's, it's helpful. That's a good way. I think it's a, it's an alternate way of thinking. And I, and I like that. Uh, it's apophatic versus cataphatic knowledge. If you want to get technical. Yeah. yeah. Well, it reminds um, me of those maxims, you know, God is at least this, but also is not this or however sure. you want to put the maxim together. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So love being consciousness and bliss, I would say maybe are the four or words that I think point toward God. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, so far, like 10 episodes in, none of those have been released actually yet. Yet No one is yet to give the same answer, which I was actually worried everyone was just going to give the same answer. But um, cool. It, yeah, it's been, it's actually been one of my favorite questions lately. Um, point people in the right spot. Where do they go to get a hold of you, listen to your stuff, read your stuff, do the things? I know you've got a Patreon where you'll, um, you know, you give people all of your books effectively for a certain amount of money, which is probably a good deal. I haven't done the math, but it probably is. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Well, oh, yeah. Where would you point yeah. people to? I've got like a million things going. So yeah, my, my website's allsetfree.com, And I actually, I'm excited because I just started blogging again. Hmm. 
Um, it is going to be behind a paywall. So for a dollar a month, you have to sign in with Patreon and go in there and you have to support me a dollar a month um, at minimum. But I, what I'm doing is I'm taking the revised common lectionary and I'm going through, I started in Advent. I'm giving thoughts and reflections on every gospel passage from that week's lectionary. So I'm doing year A gospel passages all the way through. And then I'll do year B when we get there. Um, and I'm doing that at allsetfree.com. So each week will be my thoughts and reflections on that week's gospel reading. Um, Heretic Happy Hours, a podcast I co-host. And the website's heretichappyhour.com. It's, of course, wherever you wherever you listen to this lovely show, you, I'm sure, can listen to us. <laughs> Unless you're... No, are we on Spotify? Yeah, I think we might be on Spotify. Are you? I am on Spotify. I'm, yeah, so I, wherever you listen think, to this... You listen I think to I'm on Spotify. Yeah. I don't know. I, I It's I everywhere, right? And that's how the internet works. I don't know. That's I think. This whole thing that Al Gore <laughs> invented. So, thank God. Um, yeah, and of course, Facebook. And I do some Twitter and Instagram. But mainly Facebook, if you actually want to talk to me. Yeah, perfect. If you if, you're, if your profile name starts with evangelist or prophet, something, <laughs> don't something, do it. I'm, I might not accept your friend request. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, maybe who knows maybe uh, <laughs> oh and i i have i have the bonfire sessions which is another podcast that i do too so you can find that on same platforms perfect perfect matthew thank you for coming on i enjoyed it yeah thanks for having me man love it said this on Twitter the other day and I mean it 100% both for this episode and for the ones prior and the ones to come I know how much of a time commitment it is to each of the guests to come onto the show and I'm very thankful for that and so I want to go on record and just say thank you so much for that literally not possible to do this without their voices and I know they could do a lot of things with their time and I'm thankful they share it special thanks again to the Salts of the Sound for their music for today's episode Please remember to tell your friends about the show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. I think it's at 140 reviews or something like that. But let's let's continue to do that. And again, a plea to your support on Patreon. I look forward to talking with you next week. I hope that you're blessed, everyone. Welcome to March. Oh,